everyone. I'm Noelle LaCroix. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Orgasm, the podcast from Chipperish Media where we reach for explosive inspiration. Each episode goes deep into a topic through identification, discovery, exploration, analysis, and synthesis. The ideas framework of creativity and inspiration that we hope will give us some insight into what we love and why we love it. Today, we're going to look at darkness, as in the dark stories that we love. But before we get into the ideas, let's bask in the afterglow from our last orgasm. All right. So our last topic, our last topic was mythology. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing a lot of unpacking of the personal mythologies is what I've been calling them. Uh Uh, Personal mythologies that I've carried around ideas about what makes a happy life and what my role is in the big picture sense and what it means to open up to real love and affection from people who don't have their own and sometimes elaborate mythologies about me. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about this mostly as it relates to friendships, partly because I feel like we don't really have great language for changes in friend relationships. I mean, you can be estranged from family members or separated from partners but friends? Would you say you were estranged from a friend? I'm not sure I would use that word. I think the closest I've heard is like the friend breakup. But you're right. We don't have good language for that. And we don't have a script for a friend breakup, really. You know, with partners, of course, the joke is like, oh, well, we can stay friends. (laughs) Depending on, you know, depending on who you are and and the circumstances of the breakup maybe you actually do stay friends and maybe you don't but that feels like the go-to phrase with friends I'm not sure we have that so I'm not really sure how to talk about this I mean I have several friends with whom I am not as close as I used to be because we don't live in the same city anymore or because jobs and babies and moves and higher education all take up a lot of time and emotional bandwidth. And those are not the friendships that I'm talking about. That's not the separation that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the friends I've separated from because they had a vision of me or a story about who I was that's not accurate or grossly incomplete. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And these are people for whom, you know, when I tried to expand or, you know, maybe correct their their story about who I was or what our relationship was and make space for my authentic self, I got pushback from. And I think that what I separated from in those relationships was that mythology of you are this, Mm -hmm. you are this thing. And Conversely, what I cherish about the connections I've made in recent years is the total lack of that kind of mythology. And I could talk about this all in flowery language for probably an entire hour, but I'm really excited about today's topic. So I'm going to leave that there for now. (laughs) No, I really, really love that. And I think it was it was funny because my reflection on mythology fell into two buckets. (laughs) One of them was like the power of doing the thing, 
even when you don't feel ready to -hmm. do the thing. Because mythology was the episode that almost wasn't, right? And (laughs) (laughs) because we both got so stuck trying to write a script. And and then adding Joshua Unruh into that mix just opened up new doors, which is why I love creative collaboration, because that happens so much. But then the ideas resonated really deeply. And it became this conversation that was bigger than what I could have imagined when I suggested it as a topic. Mm-hmm. And I love it when that happens. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's the it best. It really is. Yeah. And your reflection really brought me to... Like the power of changing your own narrative. Oh, yeah. I've started thinking about this in terms of my own mythology, like the things I tell myself about myself consistently. And the way that those things either strengthen me or limit me, uh, usually limiting. Mm. But holding on to ideas that no longer serve me, there's power in giving myself space and permission to expand and change the story oh yeah like in our family I would say there's two well there's probably more than two myths about me or like stories (laughs) that get told over and over again right like sure sure, things believed to be true um on the positive side this is a phrase from pretty woman which cracks me up because contextually that's not a movie that you want your like mother to pick a phrase for you from but Mine was inspired by a prostitute in L.A., so there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, the, Kelly, the, the preferred term is sex worker. Sex worker, I'm sorry. Yeah, sex worker in L.A. I'm using fine. the language of the film, which was Absolutely. limited. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry, no, sorry. no, it's Just good. Interjecting right. because, you know. Yes, absolutely. Sex work is real work. Anyway, yes. your mother was inspired by Pretty Woman. She was inspired by Pretty Woman. Because there's this line that it's like, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants girl. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I do have the capacity for improving or going with the flow or like, hey, we were expecting this professor and class starts in five minutes and he's not here and somebody's going to go in there and talk to those students. Hey, Kelly. And like, <laughs> I will roll with that. No problem. I love it. Fine. Fly by the seat of my pants. I'll do it. And that's kind of a positive myth. Yeah. And but on the kind of on that limiting side, one of the things that I have believed to be true, like really believed to be true for a long time, is this idea of like a matriarchal curse in our family. So Mm. my grandmother had four daughters And her husband left the family. And I mean, this was the 1960s when divorce was not done. Mm -hmm. And she's a very proper Southern Methodist woman. And he left the family to marry someone else. And just that was that. Like, he didn't come back. He wasn't part of his daughter's lives. And so she was a single mom. You know, she worked. She is a pillar of her community. She is an unending source of strength. She is an incredible person. She's generous. She's awesome. She's strong. And she took care of everybody. But she never remarried. I don't think she ever dated again. And so there was this like alone, but is the caretaker of her family, right? And then her oldest daughter has two children. And she got divorced when they were very, very young. And she did kind of the same thing. Single mom, tough as she can be takes care of everybody, works incredibly hard, built a great career, all this stuff. 
she's now like the matriarch. Her kids have kids. She's like the world's best grandmother. Still single. And so when this pattern kind of repeated with me when my son was born and I went back to school and I built a good career and I took care of him (laughs) and then I took care of my extended family, then I have heard it's like, okay, well, that torch is now passed down to Kelly. And I just Mm -hmm. accepted this as true. I don't like it, but it just felt like it was a real thing. And I never really questioned it or pushed back on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, I had this conversation with my son not long ago. I don't know. I can't remember what inspired it, but I told him this. And, you know, he's not usually emotionally in tune with me. I mean, he's 19, so I don't really <laughs> expect him to be. But when we were talking about this, like, he really blew my mind because he said, you know, Mom, that's not a curse. That's noble. And it means you're strong. Aww. Right? I about fell out of Baby my chair. Jones. Baby Jones. Baby Jones. Oh, I love it. And I was just kind of flabbergasted, you know, but that the kid had a point. Yeah. And so I just realized I've been thinking about it wrong. Like, it felt true and fixed and done and decided like a myth passed down and made real, but it's not. And really doing that episode with you and Joshua and then like the reflection that we've done since... I really do believe that just as stories evolve in mythology, the stories we tell ourselves can evolve too. We just have to remember that we're capable of reframing them. Oh, absolutely. So I think there's real power in like identifying and questioning the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Oh, for sure. For sure. And thinking about our stories, our personal narratives and Mm -hmm. experiences as stories um Lonnie's gonna hate this because she (laughs) hates it when I talk about her on a podcast that she's not part of well let's fully shout out then Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media (laughs) (laughs) Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish well so so Chipperish Media's I mean flagship podcast how story works was really instrumental for me in some personal development work that I was doing um, whenever that was a couple of years ago when mm-hmm. when Lonnie started doing how story works and she talked about protagonists and how they you know how you write your protagonist and I was struggling at that time in my life with some decisions and feeling like feeling confused feeling like I didn't know what to do and I went well what would what would a fictional character like what would the fictional character version of me do Mm -hmm. like how how do I make this into a satisfying story Mm -hmm. you know how do I pay off some of this emotional turmoil (laughs) that I'm going through and it was but it was really funny like it sounds really goofy to be like all right what would fictional Noelle do in this situation or like if I were reading a book or watching a movie in which these things were going on Mm -hmm. with the protagonist like what would I what would I want them to do or what would like what would be a satisfying conclusion to this struggle and that was tremendously helpful to me to mm-hmm. think of myself in terms of a story. So I think there's something I I think there's something really valuable there. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. Well, and using story as a framework to grapple with your own real shit sounds like a good idea to me. 
Yeah. Well, and it's kind of it's kind of why we're here with this topic today. Mm-hmm. You know, I chose darkness as a topic <laughs> in part because of this recurring discussion that kept happening around Chipper's headquarters about loving what you love and being delighted by dark stories and that not feeling right for me, but also because I tend to gravitate toward darker material. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as far as I can tell, I've always been drawn to maybe not super dark, but definitely like eclectic or bizarre kind of narratives. And I mean, even as like a really little kid, like I, I remember being in Oh, probably second grade, mm-hmm. maybe even younger, maybe. No, I think it was probably about second grade. And just being obsessed with ghost stories. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I think, I think that's probably maybe a common thing. Oh, but, yeah. But it's so interesting to me that that dark stories or dark, you know, a kind of a kind of dark aesthetic or you know, art or really anything. I was going to say architecture because like I love gargoyles. <laughs> I so love that sort of, yeah, I love, I love that sort of darker aesthetic line of storytelling. And that is one of the few things off the top of my head that I've carried with me since I was like a little, little kid. Mm-hmm. I always wanted a pet gargoyle when I was little. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and a dragon, but mostly a gargoyle. They're super cool. Mm-hmm. They are super, super cool. And there's a picture book. I don't remember the author's name. Um, shame on me, but it's called God Bless the Gargoyles. Oh, really? Yes. And it breaks my heart into itty bitty pieces. Oh, I'll have to read that. I will look that up. But oh, man. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, but what I really so the the autobiographical piece is there for me with with dark stories and it's really strong. But it's it still feels kind of weird to me to say that like dark stories are delightful to me. That doesn't feel quite right, but I'm not sure how else to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't come down on delight, but I did come up with a word. Don't oh we'll, yeah. Yeah, that will we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. We'll get there when we Yeah, because I went autobiographical, too, in trying to define a dark story. Oh, yeah. I didn't define my term. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely not one size fits all. And mm-hmm. and I learned, like, I have a very specific taste in dark stories. And I don't know what that says about me, but it's never <laughs> darkness for darkness's sake. Like, it always comes down to how darkness is handled in the story as to whether or not I'm going to like it. Okay. And my first rule is that this is fiction only. I don't even like reading the newspaper because there's just too much freaking tragedy in it. I don't like it. And so dark fiction, especially when it's dark fantasy, feels much safer to me than anything Mm -hmm. in the real world. So like that's step one. Like I like a perimeter of of safety in my (laughs) In my darkness. <laughs> and then I'm very, very selective. 
So no horror movies. There's not a lot of horror books, even though some of the books I like are classified as fantasy horror. Um, I don't like blood and gore. Most reality-based dark fiction is not for me either. I still have nightmares from an episode of MASH that I watched when I was a little kid. Like, still. It's been like 35 (laughs) years. Oh, honey. I still haunted by that damn episode of MASH. So, like... It was too real, man. I can't. I can't do that. Wow. And I, it, it's just harder for me to see things on screen. So, like, I can handle reading it. But if I see it on screen, I can't erase it. And so, like, I'm usually going to go to books. And I don't expect or want, like, the darkness of the dark stories to be swept away and washed clean with sunshine and rainbows. But I also don't want a hopeless <laughs> ending. So, uh-huh. like, I'm, I think I'm kind of picky. About (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean that's good to know. That's good to know about yourself. Yeah, darkness, darkness, but with certain yeah parameters. It's a very specific flavor, and (laughs) but I think that they're all like if I had to connect them to something, there would be some kind of fairy tale element to them. Because even as a very young child, I loved dark fairy tales. The real ones, not the Disney sugar-coated mm-hmm. ones. I mean, I like the Disney ones, too, because, hey, all that music and singing and dancing. <laughs> but when I wanted to read fairy tales, I wanted the Brothers Grimm, you know. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of fear and pain and loss in fairy tales, but there's also a lot of discovery and redemption. And I've always been drawn, I think, because of the way fairy tales handle fear. Like, I've always been drawn to them because of how they handle darkness. And, well, even as a kid, I loved fantasy or fantastical fiction, you know. Some of my mm-hmm. young favorites were The Black Cauldron by Lloyd Alexander and The House with a Clock in His Walls by John Belairs because I thought they were amazing. But in the fifth grade, I would, I would say I hit my first real experience of dark and twisty. And I blame all this on V.C. Andrews. Because <laughs> when my friends were reading Sweet Valley High and The Babysitter's Clubs, I read those books and got bored very, very quickly and went to the library looking for something different. And in my browsing of my elementary school library stacks, I came across Flowers in the Attic, (laughs) which I read and then read the entire series and then read everything I could get my hands on by V.C. Andrews. But then I got to my sweet Audrina and holy God, like, That book is so dark and twisted, I can't go back and read it as an adult. Oh, God. And, and, like, the the mom and educator in me now wonders, was that really an appropriate selection for my elementary school library? I don't know. Um. Yeah, that's funny that you say that, because I remember, I never read V.C. Andrews, but I remember peers in, like, I want to say, like, seventh grade, Mm -hmm. maybe, getting really into V.C. Andrews. So, yeah, elementary school, you said. Yeah, elementary <laughs> school. And I'm like, all right. Huh. Okay. But they stuck with me. And then that kind of, <laughs> yeah. like, led me to my dystopian phase, right, with The Giver and The Handmaid's Tale and Brave New World, and then my Anne Rice phase, which was mostly the whole time I was pregnant. And so, like, when I was young, I would say reading dark stories made me feel guilty and comforted at the same time which was like a really strange emotional experience right because Mm -hmm. I felt guilty for 
reading and liking something that I know I was not supposed to read or like. Mm-hmm. And God knows yeah. if my parents had caught me, there would have been much yelling and many, what is wrong with you questions to answer. But luckily I was really good at hiding books and I never got caught. But I also felt comforted because the protagonist in those stories lived through the dark and twisted, you know, and for the most yeah. part they survived and they fought back and they held on to a sense of who they were. And they even loved other people, like even in that darkness and sometimes they even learn to love themselves or appreciate themselves. But all of that felt very real to me. So I just remember being drawn to these stories, feeling like I should not be and wanting to be there anyway. So that was kind of my long winded autobiographical description. Of no, dark stories. no, I actually think it's <laughs> I think it's fascinating that your your Anne Rice phase coincided with your pregnancy. Yeah. Because my third, during my third pregnancy, I was pregnant after losing a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I became very obsessed with horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch very many of them while I was pregnant um, with my youngest child. But I did read like plot summaries mm-hmm. of horror movies, especially like, you know, the really, the really famous horror movies. Um, you know, your like Suspiria and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and things like that. I read all of these summaries and then I read about like how they were received at the time they were made. Mm-hmm. And I got very, very obsessed with <laughs> with horror as a genre. And at the time, like I felt I felt simultaneously really comforted mm-hmm. by engaging with these really dark narratives where things didn't necessarily work out right and I felt tremendously guilty because I didn't have I mean I was the I was the pregnant woman spending a bunch of time at the Museum of Pop Culture's horror exhibit mm-hmm. and that just felt really incongruous and kind of icky to me even as I felt really compelled to engage with that kind of material. And I don't know if that was because I had experienced a loss and because, you know, miscarriage and infant death is not something that we talk about in our culture at all Mm -hmm. until it happens to you. And then everyone talks about it. Then if you mention it, you know, everyone has a story and it's, it's, completely staggering you know Mm -hmm. how many people have experienced a loss like that themselves or someone close to them has but like I I get the sort of what is wrong with you Mm -hmm. (laughs) undercurrent because it's like why do I feel drawn to this right now and what would the people in my life think Mm -hmm. you know if they were to to catch me doing this but at the same time like there was there was a real sense of comfort there. Yeah, there really was. And like I know what you mean when I was when I was pregnant, I had this terrible job as a customer service call rep for a large insurance company. It was hell. 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 And so like when I had my break, which I worked from 4 p.m. to midnight, I did like the hours. But when I had my break, I went out to like the there was this outside area that was lit up at night 
or like I would find a place in the cafeteria to like hide and read. That was it. Like I was going to read every second that I was on break. Like I had a timer mm-hmm. and God help anyone who interrupted and tried to talk to me because I was not extroverted at all during this time. And I wanted my book and no human company whatsoever. And there was this really like nosy woman who worked with me who loved just to come by and tell me things and to give me advice that I did not ask for. And so (laughs) when she saw me reading, I was reading, I can't remember which Anne Rice book it was. And she came by and tapped me on the shoulder and I'm like glaring up at her because I was in a really good part. I'm like, what? And she's like, that book is not good for that baby. And I said, the baby can't read yet. And I just went right back to my book. Like, I don't like, what? What? What is this nonsense? Excuse me while I pick my jaw up (laughs) off my chest. Like, the fuck? She was so serious. Like, Like, and I'm like, what? If I somehow give birth to a little vampire, I will come back and apologize. But somehow, I don't think that's going to happen, honey. Like, yeah. (laughs) It was so funny. But she was so indignant and like, you know, you're reading these dark stories in the presence of a baby. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gestating and I don't think he cares. (laughs) Well, one of one of the things that uh, my kid's dad did while I was pregnant was read out loud. And and yeah, I know he read out loud. We read um, was mostly like comedy type essays Mm -hmm. with my first with my oldest but with my youngest, we read the entire Hunger Games series out loud. So so this woman who cornered you probably has a better argument against me because the baby can he I mean, by the time by the time he was reading aloud, mm-hmm. uh, that baby was old enough that that she could hear him. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and that explains it. Th- maybe that explains a thing or two about my youngest. I don't know. <laughs> She would she would win the Hunger Games. She would. <laughs> she absolutely would win the Hunger Games. Or she'd go down swinging. Well, I mean, my my kid is a legal adult now, and he's never like bitten anyone and drawn blood, and he's not like you know, he hasn't turned into a creature of the night or anything. So I think it's okay. But anyway, that you know of, <laughs> that I know of, correct. <laughs> not that I have discovered. See how well I transitioned us right there? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, so if we're, if we're going into discovery, I need words. Mm -hmm. I need better words because I feel really gross and icky saying I love a story Mm -hmm. that deals with something that's gross or disgusting or dark or a story where things not only don't turn out happily ever after but like horribly ever after Mm -hmm. to say like oh I love this story that deals with you know there's every level of of horror and grossness I'm just like no I don't that doesn't feel appropriate but I I think you were the person who pointed out to me that my this thing that I'm watching is getting very exciting noises Mm -hmm. are just like total glee like it's just like it really is delight (laughs) (laughs) so i 
This is the part of the podcast where I say, this might say something about me, like, as a person, and I may have to be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Because the stuff I like, the stuff I love is, like, not okay sometimes. (laughs) Well, I think that depends on how you're defining not okay. Like, okay. So say there's a this like terrible scene or whatever and watching it <laughs> makes you make happy noises. Like you are enjoying yes. watching that scene. You yes. don't turn around and reenact that scene on some unsuspecting person. Like I've never known you no. to do that. Well, I'm very unlikely to find somebody with a tail that I can cut off. Oh, don't give spoilers for the show we're going to talk about. (laughs) No one knows. (laughs) Not yet. If you know what I'm talking about, fine. But I know, I know, I know. Fine, whatever. But here's the funny part. Here's the funny part. I knew that tail getting cut off was going to make you make happy noises. So, (laughs) (laughs) if something's wrong with you, it's wrong with me too. So that's okay. No, no, no. The only thing that's wrong with you is you know me way too well. I'm the one (laughs) who told you to watch it in the first place. You are the one who sat me down and inflicted (laughs) it upon me. We will have this argument off mic. Okay. Do your discovery reflection. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I did come to a word in discovery that might work for you. Awesome. And this started like actually on a conversation on Still Dead with Lonnie Dinerich about Angel. So... For discovery, I wondered about the commonalities of the dark stories I love now and how to describe the way I feel about them. Because here at Chipperish, our banner cry is love what you love. But I've always wanted to examine the why of why I love what I love. And like you said, love feels like the wrong word to describe these positive feelings associated with dark stories. But I think Mm -hmm. appreciation is a good word. Like it doesn't delight me. But it does put me in a deeply appreciative space. And sometimes there's stuff in there that does make me laugh. And I'll just own that. But when I think Mm -hmm. of like the television I love now, it's Buffy and Angel, Firefly and Sherlock, The Fall, Orphan Black. Like there's some darkness to most of those stories. Some more than others. Mm -hmm. But it's still mostly books. So still fairy tales in all their forms. But I thought about my top like five favorite dark stories. And the way I classified these, which was actually really helpful for me, was stories that I love that I would be cautious about recommending. So, like, there are some books I will recommend, like, I've had this conversation with people at the checkout line, and I leave them with a list. (laughs) Of course you do. Yeah, of course. But I need to know somebody a little bit before I'd recommend these five. Okay. So, this was Bastard Out of Carolina by Dorothy Allison. The Cashiel's Legacy series by Jacqueline Carey. Gods in Alabama and everything else written by Jocelyn Jackson. (laughs) And then I have this candy read, which this is how you know you're like seriously being honest on a podcast because, oh my God, Mm -hmm. like I hate admitting this. But there is a mystery series. It is actually written by Nora Roberts, but she writes it as J.D. Robb called It's the End Death series. And there's like 507 books in the series. I have read them all. And I will continue to read them all because I love all the side characters and I have to know what happens. I love that. But there's a, there's a dark, there's a darkness to those books. And I do recommend those to people, but I always warn people first 
But these other ones, I usually don't until I get to know the person. But my darkest love, like my darkest, darkest fiction, which I still can't believe how much I love. Because when I say that this is dark, I mean, this is a whole new level of like, I had (laughs) nightmares about this and I still come back and reread them. Um, But this is the Dark Jewel series by Ann Bishop. And it is so disturbing that I very rarely ever tell anybody to read it. But it is brilliant and moving and beautiful in a very dark and twisted way. And when I had to like sit down, I was like, okay, so here's five books that I would say fit this description of dark stories I love. Mm -hmm. What do they all have in common? And I didn't want to look at the answer to this because I knew the answer before I asked the question. But all of them deal with sexual trauma. And all of the protagonists are women or girls who have to live in some very dark darkness. And they're either Southern Gothic or fantasy. And I mean, mm-hmm. the in death is a, the in death series is a police procedural, but it's set 50 years in the future. So it's distant enough from reality to work for me. But there are scenes in all of these books that are flat out brutal and very hard to read in places, but they all also somehow give me a sense of hope. So it was a very weird discovery process. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating discovery process. And it's one that I did not do. I didn't think about specific stories. Although now that I'm just kind of, I'm just sort of flipping through, you know, the Rolodex of story (laughs) in my brain. The thing that I seem to be drawn to is body horror. Mm -hmm. And it's it's one of those things where and and for me it tends to be movies, um, movies or television shows because I'm very, I'm very visual, but yeah, it's it's like the destruction of the physical body. In mm-hmm. fact, I think I said on a recent, still pretty, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast I do with Lonnie, uh, that I love a monster that bursts out from inside the human body uh-huh. so like you're you know like you're aliens from alien mm-hmm. and that sort of thing that there's something about there's something about the like the fragile nature of the human body that I really respond to mm-hmm. and I I'm hesitant to dig into why that is but that's fascinating I also think it's probably really telling that I didn't look for patterns in the kinds of things that I'm drawn to, because I think that when you start looking at the stories that you love, you know, dark or otherwise, and what they have in common, it tells you a lot about yourself Mm -hmm. and like what your values are and what your fears are. In fact, I think that takes us really nicely into exploration Mm -hmm. because that, you know, that like thinking about what do these things all have in common is one way of doing data collection I did not do that. I mostly watched shows and drank wine and tried to say smart shit. I'm not sure. <laughs> also a valid life choice. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Someday I will make myself Oprah rich doing just these things. <laughs> but until that time, um, I'll just, you know, I'll do it as a hobby. I, I did engage some with, I mean, really, if I'm going to make time for entertainment. Again, I feel kind of gross saying that about really dark material. Um, But if I'm going to make time for entertainment that's not 
podcast related. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be super dark, mm-hmm. moderately dark or RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> so, <laughs> OK, I love that those are your categories. Those are my categories. Mm-hmm. 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 Super dark, moderately dark or RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> and I mean, and and. Drag is not that different from body horror. I mean, it's about because drag is about transformation Mm -hmm. and body horror is about the temporary nature of the human body and all these things. So we're not. That's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Odd by gender. Oh, (laughs) Um, no. uh, So mostly what I ended up doing was watching sort of what I would sort of watch myself watch these dark stories especially because some of the stuff that I watched I watched with you mm-hmm. and I was familiar with it and you were not so it was fun to kind of watch my reaction and watch your reaction and yeah and some of it was the other way around and that was that's true yeah. mm-hmm. that's true we did go both ways with our entertainment options <laughs> which is Always fun. I highly recommend. I think I've said this before. I'm having all kinds of deja vu as we're recording this, but that's fine. It's what happens when you're on more than one podcast. This is what happens when you're on multiple podcasts and when you... All right. How how to express this in a way that doesn't sound terrible. I do not recommend necessarily being really close friends with the people you podcast with because you'll go... In your head, did I talk about this on a podcast or did I talk about that on the phone? Were we were we recording when we had that conversation about like I it's terrible because then I worry that like I get on, you know, I get on a podcast and y'all are out there, all y'all listening are going, Oh my god, you say this every time. But who even fucking knows? But yes, I highly recommend, I highly, highly recommend doing a swap with a friend where you subject them to something that you love that they've never seen and they subject you to something they love that you've never seen. You talk about it. It's great. Mm -hmm. It is. It's great. It's the absolute best. It is very fun. So common threads in dark stories. Oh, okay. You're throwing this back to me. All right, cool. (laughs) Well, if you like. Sure. I mean, I don't have I don't have a whole lot um, because, you know, once again, like I picked a topic and I was like, yeah, but ton of things to say and then I was like wow I have a ton of things to say how do I even organize this especially if I don't want to get too autobiographical because again I think that the stories that we respond to Mm -hmm. tell us a lot about ourselves and I'm sort of afraid (laughs) of what my oh my love of really dark subject matter yeah I worry about this too I mean if somebody listening (laughs) has read all the books that I have listed in this episode they might be like oh think I might go unfollow this woman on Twitter. I'm not so sure about her anymore. (laughs) But like thinking about common threads woven through anything is just how my brain works. Anyway, I can't really help it. So that was the best way I knew to think about the dark stories, because it is really uncomfortable 
to say, hey, here, here are mine. You know, <laughs> like you want to say, right. like, here you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, top five favorite movies. Uh, really? really? No, please like, don't make me tell you what my top five favorite yeah, movies like, are. We're not there yet. That that might be like fifth date material. Like you don't want to know that right now. I mean, of course, I did break up with a guy over the Princess Bride, so maybe that should be an early relationship conversation. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking about these stories, right? And I realized that when I do recommend them or I do tell someone about them, I find myself describing them by saying, I love this, but I love this, but it's violent. And I don't usually tolerate much violence. I love this, but a lot of people get tortured. I love this. But <laughs> it gives me nightmares, right? I love this, but it's scary as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of found this, like, I do have a tendency to put this little caveat when I'm describing these stories. And then I realized, like, even down to one of my other favorites that didn't fall into, like, my top five. This is like an outlier for a favorite. But mm-hmm. The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. Oh, my God. I love that book so much. Right? I hate so I hate zombie stories. I hate zombies. I hate Zombies. Like, I cannot emphasize how much I do not like zombies. I love this fucking book. I love this book. I I have recommended this over and over and over again enthusiastically, and everyone I've ever told to read it has also loved it. Because it's amazing. It's so good. But it's so good. Happy ending? Would you describe the girl? (laughs) Like, ooh, that is a great question. Is it a happy ending? ending? That is the question that I keep going back to with that. And plus, I read that whole book with a curriculum theory lens. Like that book to me is about the power of education. And oh, absolutely it is. That's exactly what it's about. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah. So I think like part of this exploration process was thinking about the common threads. But part of it was being more open about sharing the dark stories that I like. Because I don't normally do that or like I'm hesitant to do that. But in telling you to watch, you know, like we watched The Fall and you loved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. We watched another show that we'll talk about later in this that was amazing (laughs) and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If you share that, then people can recommend other stories that you're also going to like that you might have been kind of scared to say, you know what, I really like this. And, and that was, it was, I don't know why I have such a hard time with it, but it's taken me like a long time t- to get there because I think there's always that fear, right? Of someone thinking, what mm-hmm. is wrong with her? Well, all right. So here's an example. Here's an example that I think is related. Okay. I don't, I don't play a ton of video games anymore. Mm-hmm. I have in the past though, and in particular, a couple of the games that I've really, really enjoyed and really gotten into have been very violent and very scary. Now I am not, I am not a person who loves guns mm-hmm. in my day-to-day life. In fact, I have some pretty, I have some pretty strong anti-gun feelings. But in a video game mm-hmm. where I'm in a post-apocalyptic desert environment and I have a sniper rifle and I'm going to take out this monster, zombie, whatever, what have you, mm-hmm. from my position on top of the abandoned supermarket, 
Oh, hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. And I think that we have, I bring up video games because I think we have this idea that violent video games, engaging with violent video games leads to violence in real mm-hmm. life. And that is, I mean, that's the like scary fear mongering narrative that has been fed to a lot of us. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that engaging with dark subject matter necessarily means that you are a, you know, a a dangerous person. I was really into the TV series Dexter Mm -hmm. for a while. Dexter is about a serial killer who kills serial killers. It's wonderful Mm -hmm. if that is your, you know, if that's your flavor of dark, but I'm not going to go out and become a serial killer because I love this TV show. Right. But I think that that, I think that that mythology, see what I, I did do. there? I'm very uh, well I done. I think that that mythology, thank you, that mythology exists in the culture, mm-hmm. right? That if I engage with something that has a dark subject matter, that it's going to make me into the kind of person who would do these things. Now, that's a much more complicated conversation Mm -hmm. than we're going to have on this podcast, because I do think, you know, we talk about how representation matters. And if you see violence, especially against a particular group or a particular kind of person over and over and over again, how much easier it becomes to then oppress that group of people in your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea that, you know, my shooting zombies in a video game means that I am then dangerous in society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think that's correct. I don't think that idea is correct at all. So I think when we talk about these dark stories, especially if there's a kind of I don't want to say positivity, but like if the if the protagonist or if the person that we're rooting for or if one of the people that we're rooting for does engage in some maybe questionable or really taboo behavior, then I think the fear is that if I admit to liking this, Mm -hmm. someone is going to think that about me, that I would engage in something that is maybe just taboo at best or genuinely harmful at Mm -hmm. worst. I think you're right. Yep, I have I have never been yeah. led to act out any of the scenes of any of the dark books that I have read. It is kind of amazing that you can yeah, <laughs> engage that? with the story and not become how that story. About that? Yeah. 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 But that does raise the question of okay, so if it's not, you know, I'm not harboring like homicidal tendencies. <laughs> Why do I love this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I love these dark stories? You know, getting into analysis now. And I I bring it back to the autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not that I'm secretly homicidal, but one of my strongest memories of of childhood is being very afraid of everything. Like the worst case scenario in every scenario. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it wasn't the kind of fear that kept me from existing in the world. You know, I was still able to 
leave the house, for example. You know, I was able to leave the house and go to school and do all of the things that that kids do. But I was there was this undercurrent of fear Mm -hmm. all the time. And that has stayed with me into adulthood to a greater or lesser extent. And I think that part of the appeal for me of dark storylines, stories where things don't necessarily work out or they work out, but with a huge cost is that sort of, it helps me sort of master that fear. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that even when the the thing that we're afraid of wins, for lack of a better word, even when it wins at the end of the story, I still feel comforted by engaging with that narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what that is about or why that is. But I think that something about I think something about engaging with with dark or scary or twisted storylines helps me feel more at peace with my own natural tendency to be fearful. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense to me. And it's funny because when I think about the dark stories, I'll tend to say, you know, no, I can't watch that movie I'm a wimp or no I can't watch that that's too much for me like I kind of know where that line is for myself although I can build up a little bit of a tolerance for it like when Game of Thrones came out I'd already read the books I read the book I can read the books up to a certain point it they <laughs> there is a point that it hits that I'm I'm done but I had a very hard time watching it and it was the same story I mean more or less the same story but I, I like I have a threshold and I think part of that is, <laughs> for whatever reason, and it's not really something I like to admit, but I'm kind of stuck because, you know, podcasting equals, hey, be honest in public. I'm kind of a reluctant optimist. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be, <laughs> but I kind of am. And like, I have, I have yet to get to the point where I will give up on just about anything. Like, I don't. I haven't gotten there yet. Like somehow I still want to believe in the good things. I want to believe in hope and faith and change and all of that stuff. And it, I've always had that for some weird reason. And I hold on to it. And so I think I really like the stories that go dark, but still bring me back to that place. Which is why it feels like such a niche for me because I like them dark, but they've got to end with a hopeful note, which is just weird, mm. you know. And and I think hmm. I think the reason I like them so much, or you know, why do I love this thing, is first of all because they exist, which means that someone had to write them, which means that I'm not the yes. only person to be visited by dark story ideas. Yeah, and second. I'm not the only person who loves these stories. Like every single one of these books that I've named, other people like them too. Yes. They may not like them all and they yeah. may not like them as intensely as I do, but other people like them, which means that other people appreciate these same stories and there's beauty in shared appreciation. 
Unless your appreciation is that you like Nazis, and then that's just a no. But I think, like, because the dark stories that I'm drawn to, things don't end as dark as they start or as dark as they get. And I need some light at the end of my tunnel. And I didn't like admitting that. Like, admitting that used to sound like weakness to me. But it's just how I'm built. And it's just like, because that is how I master fear, is by looking for hope. And I like stories that reflect that back to me. And in those stories that I love most, the characters realize that darkness has happened to them, but isn't them. And like they can be touched by it or even have it be part of them, but still retain their sense of self and their strength and their faith and their hope and their ability to love. And like love after or during darkness is probably my favorite flavor of dark stories. Wow. Yeah. It's funny to me that you say that you are a reluctant optimist, <laughs> because I think I am an embarrassed pessimist. <laughs> we balance out nicely. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like, I don't, you know, I've been, I have been shamed in the past for being a pessimist. And again, I think that is kind of how I am, I don't want to say wired, but I, I do think that my baseline is to be pessimistic. And I mean, I would say it's to be realistic, but I understand that that's not entirely accurate. But I like dark stories where things don't work out. Mm -hmm. Like there's something very satisfying to me when or when it works out, but the cost is so tremendous that you don't even want to say that it works out. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, we we saved the whatever but everybody died (laughs) you know or like yeah we solved the mystery but you know we're all fucked so (laughs) it doesn't matter and you know and I have had a lot of shame about that you know the like oh you should look on the bright side and I surround myself with bright sidey people to remind me that things are not all doom and gloom but I don't know I'm kind of I'm sort of here for the doom and gloom Mm -hmm. Is that no. weird? How weird is I that? I don't think it's weird at all. <laughs> I don't think it's weird at all. All right. So relating this to authenticity, mm-hmm. you know, what are we going to keep thinking about as we synthesize all of this? I think that for me, there's this piece of not just it's not just love what you love. It's like love what you love and own it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, not like cower in the corner and be like, oh, yeah, I um, I actually really like stories about people who do horrible things and get away with it. You know, it's <laughs> like, <I'm> just <laughs> because it's that exploration of taboo. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, how do I. You know, I think you said it perfectly that if these stories exist, it means that other people have had these ideas and I'm not alone in that kind of dark headspace. Mm -hmm. So I think the next piece for me is really diving into that dark headspace as much as I kind of don't want to because it's weird in there. (laughs) (laughs) But There's probably nothing that I have thought about in terms of, you know, dark and twisty that someone else has not also thought Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, I think that's true. And I find a lot of comfort in that. In other people's dark and twisty? I do. 
I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and especially because, you know, like I want to write, doing more of that. And what I write ain't sunshine and rainbows. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But I think a lot of this for me is like continuing to define my terms because doing this episode really gave me a sense that, yes, there is a particular flavor of dark story that I'm drawn to. I still don't know exactly how to describe and define that. And I'd like to be able to. And if Mm. those stories that I'm drawn to do have commonalities, which I think they do, then as a writer and as a reader, I can learn by studying those commonalities. So I think my synthesis is a desire for more analysis, which works for me. (laughs) I like that. No, it's just more analysis, just more. <laughs> just bring it all on. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So what's your favorite part of all these dark stories? Oh, man. I, I hesitate to even say this, but it's the twist. With apologies <laughs> to Lonnie Diane Rich. I know the twist is bullshit, <sighs> but I love a twist. I love a twist, and I love a character twist most mm-hmm. of all. I love a really, truly hateable villain, for example, who then gets a little moment and we get to see why she is the way she is. And then, oh, I hate her so much, but I love her because (laughs) I see where all of that evil and dark comes from. And I just, I love it. American Horror Story is a hot mess of storytelling. I mean, from like a structural standpoint. Mm -hmm. But, oh, man, so many characters on that show are that. You start out thinking that they're one thing, that they're good or evil, Mm -hmm. for example. And then by the end of the season, you've got a completely different perspective on them. And I love that. My two favorite seasons are probably Coven, which is season three, and Asylum, which is season Mm -hmm. two. And they're very different and delightful. Absolutely delightful. Awesome. In that in that dark delight sort of way. <laughs> Maybe delight is a lot like chocolate. And the dark variety Ooh. is just as good as the light variety. Yeah. And very and different. And very different. And not for everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like my stories like I like my chocolate. Dark with stuff. <laughs> like, dark and crunchy. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> I mean, that's actually not true. I'm a white chocolate mm-hmm. fan, which I understand. Unfollow me right now. <laughs> if that's you know, you need to. If that's how you choose to live your life. <laughs> that was a weird tangent, Kelly. What's your favorite part? Well, so this is hilarious because I wrote this, but now I think I can. I think I can tack this on in a way to also horrify Lonnie because now I'm just having fun messing with her. But <laughs> like for me, <laughs> you heard it here first. We exist to fuck with Lonnie. Oh, poor sweet Lonnie. <laughs> I like the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm just going to own it. So I think I could say I like the prologue <laughs> of a dark story that ends with hope. Oh, hell yeah. I love you, Lonnie. 
She's going to fire I know. Up. She's going to get I new know. co-hosts. She's like, I'm doing... I'm doing Buffy and Angel by myself, <laughs> bitches. Get out. Take your prologues and your epilogues and your and twists, your twists and, your and your expositions and your dream sequences. And go away. <laughs> it's a prologue, but it's a dream. I like sequence. an epilogue too. I just <laughs> sorry, sorry, Lottie. All right, I'll, I'll shut up now. But a but a character who can hold on to who she is. And her ability to love even when she goes through hell. Like, yes, that is what I want in a dark story. So that's my favorite part. All right. So are you team Gail or team PETA? Gail crossed a line. Gail crossed a line. Unacceptable. Gail crossed a line for me that there is no coming back from. And uh, yeah, I like a lot about Gail. I was team Gail until that point. Ah, I was team Gail until that moment. And then I'm sorry. And then that was and it. And then that was that it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I liked Peter a lot better after he was tortured and tormented. So I'm not sure what that says about me, but there you go. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. How you doing on spontaneous orgasms? Oh, my God. Okay. So anybody that listens to Still Chipper knows that we had a blast watching The Fall. And so yes. then I made you watch Orphan Black, which I love. And your reaction to Orphan Black is the stuff that spontaneous orgasms are made of. Because it delights me to no end. It is the best. It is the best. It is the best. It's a bunch of me slapping my legs and shouting at the television. It's so great. (laughs) It's so great. It's so great. And and now now that I... We watched the entire first Mm -hmm. season together and now i'm watching it on my own and it's just a bunch of me texting you who gets humperdink at the end (laughs) is it inigo (laughs) like i just can't can't yeah i can tell you're very upset maybe we should put it down and read some more tomorrow (laughs) it's such a great show oh my god well and it is it is made specifically to delight me in so many ways So many ways. And you haven't even got to the, like, I'm dying because, like, I know the stuff that's coming that is going to delight you the most. And I am dying for you to get there. And it's not there. I'm not Not there there yet. yet. I'm not there yet. (laughs) It's not there. Yeah. So what about you? Any spontaneous orgasms? Well, because Turnabout is Mm -hmm. fair play, you are also my spontaneous orgasm. Excellent. On this topic, because I made you watch one of my favorite dark stories. Mm -hmm. Black Swan, which I'm sure I've talked about on some podcast <laughs> and probably should do a whole goddamn podcast about already. But I subjected you to Black Swan and I have some very complicated ideas about that mm-hmm. that film. But you noticed something that just cracked open a completely new level of interpretation for me. That I now get to like fold into my own understanding of the film and what it's about and what happens mm-hmm. to our poor, unreliable narrator. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not a narrator, yeah. but you know what yeah. I'm saying. But that was, I just, you know, you came up with this having seen it. I don't think we were even all the way through it. And you we were like, oh, this is what's going on. And I went, oh, <laughs> so. You know, just building those those layers upon layers upon layers of 
dark and twisty that you can build into a dark story. So well, and that's one of the great thing about sharing stories, period, right? Is because other people are going to see things and bring a new level of appreciation to you. And that's one of the reasons why watching things that the people you love love is so much fun. You know, or reading things. It's like, so much yeah. fun. Like, I can't get to be close with someone until I know what their favorite books are. Like, because I can't truly <laughs> understand them as a person. Like, I have oh. to have read that so then I can get them. Like, and <laughs> it's important information, right? Or, I mean, it doesn't have to be a book. But, like, the stories that are your most important stories. I think that it's just really cool to share that with each other and then... You can always bring a new perspective, and that is always fun, whether it's a dark and twisty story or not. Absolutely. All right, Kelly. So I picked this one. I think it's your turn to pick the next one. What are we going to get orgasmic about next time? So this is a topic that comes up a lot in conversation, in other podcasts that we do. But we talk a lot about love languages, and I think we should get orgasmic about love languages. Our version, our interpretation, not necessarily the official trademark framework, but the idea of love languages. Okay. I like this. I like this. I have an idea about what my love languages Uh are, but uh, maybe maybe that will change. Yeah. And and I think that that's interesting, too, because going back to mythology and even to some extent to psyche, I think mine have changed. So, yeah, or or at least I've gotten more clarity around what they really are. So anyway, it should be a very interesting conversation. All right. Yeah. I am looking forward <laughs> to that. So we want to hear your thoughts about dark stories. To connect with us on Twitter and Instagram, follow Noelle at Noelle Aloud and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag orgasm. You can also go a little deeper by visiting the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the discussion. Like all Chipperish Media podcasts, Orgasm is 100% patron supported. Just a dollar a month or more gets you access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons. You'll also get access to exclusive patron content like our new podcast, Still Chipper, where the Chipperish hosts go off topic to talk about things and ideas that we find delightful. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way to support the show and to help other people find us. Or post about your orgasmic experience on your favorite social media platforms because explosive inspiration is best when shared with friends. This episode of Orgasm was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Alice. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. And we are delighted that she chose Orgasm. Thank you so much, Alice. And thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. We will be back next time to talk about love languages. Until then, I will leave you with a quote I heard years ago on a Discovery Channel or TLC program about I don't even remember what, but this quote stuck with me. So here you go. Sometimes you have to stand in the darkness to see the light.